This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on News Radio 680 WPTF. 60 minutes devoted to giving you all the information you need when caring for a loved one. With Nicole Clagan, here's the host of Aging Matters, Jason Kong. Welcome to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care on News Radio 680 WPTF. Good Saturday evening to you. Jason Kong here with Nicole Cleggett with Transitions Life Care and Transitions Guiding Lights, both in tandem. Nicole, how are you doing? I'm feeling like I have multiple personalities with that introduction. Oh, well, <laughs> you know, we... we we just go on the assumption that you've got a couple of personalities. Well, you know, everyone, uh, people often say you must have a clone. And so I did a piece for a TV station not too long ago, and they did something artistic. They made four of me walk into a room in different positions. That's pretty and accurate. I, and I said, look, there are my, there are, see, there are the clones <laughs> that you all talk about. It was actually kind of funny. So I, there was, I was a, a several, I was quadruplets, I guess. Well, <laughs> speaking of needing four of you, we, we just had the Chapel Hill Caregivers Summit this past week. We did. And, uh, it, by all accounts, a big success. It was a wonderful event. Um, the folks in Chapel Hill, I think, were very appreciative. We had, oh gosh, between all the caregivers and the, the and the folks that were there exhibiting and vendors, over 250 people at the Friday Center in Chapel Hill. Um, I really... There were really no blips other than the fact that they gave us more food than we asked for. So that was a win. <laughs> Thank error in our favor. Fantastic. <laughs> so, so that was awesome. Yeah. And we're so we're looking forward to our next two summits, but they're a little ways off in October. I think I get to breathe a little bit in September coming up here. You do. And you can find more information about those at caregiversummit.org, caregiversummit.org. And, um, you know, sort of speaking along those lines, one of the neat things about the caregiver summits is that, you know, you, you have all these resources available mm-hmm. to you. And one of the things that I found so interesting about the caregiver summits were, were services available that I I just never thought of. You know, unless you're in a caregiving role, you wouldn't think that, uh, you know, th- there's so many things that you take for granted where, oh, I can just hop in the car and, you know, two minutes away, I can get this and this done. And we've got a guest in tonight that I think falls perfectly in line with one of those things that, you know, is not on the top of your mind when it comes to caregiving, but it's, it's, it's pretty important. But it's also on the top of your head. It is. It is. <laughs> so, so glad to have here with us today, Karen Wright, and she is with Home Health Haircuts. So there you go with the top of the head, a little comment there for those of you following along. And so she has a really neat service where she can come to the older adult, the person that you're caregiving for, wherever they call home and truly make them look beautiful. And, and, and it's, you know, Karen, I'm so glad to have you here. Thank you. And I'm so glad to have your service here. You know, I'm among the calls that we frequently get at Transitions Guiding Lights are sometimes about personal care, but not so insofar as, you know, bathing and dressing. And we have all that covered, but it's truly, you know, mom just doesn't want to go out because she doesn't feel good about the way she looks, but it takes such an effort to get her out of the home to go to the beauty shop absolutely, or take dad to the barber. And so I think the service that you're providing is pretty phenomenal. So talk to us a little bit about it. All right. So, hi, I'm Karen Wright. So happy to be here with you. Um, So I do, I own and I operate home health haircuts and I can give you a little bit of background on how this business came about. Um, My father, who has passed away going on three years ago, Um, When he turned 70, he suffered a stroke and he actually lost his ability to speak and his entire right side was paralyzed. So my mother became his caregiver. And of course, I, being a cosmetologist, I would go to his house Mm -hmm. and my mom and dad and cut his hair, 
shave his beard for mm-hmm. him. And in the process of this, the, the nurses, the home health aides, the hospice, they would be like, oh, that's fantastic. So mm-hmm. many of our patients, you know, would, would love to have that service. Mm-hmm. So last year, um, I decided to create a business to help people um, in this situation to, you know, make their life easier. And I think it's absolutely phenomenal. I mean, I think um, really a big piece of how people feel about themselves, not only is it just are you physically feeling well, is do you feel like you look the best that you can? So talk to us a little bit about some of the folks that you've helped and the difference that you've seen in making their quality of life. Okay. So um, I have gone to a lot of retirement communities Mm -hmm. and done haircuts for people and you know they light up when you when you look good you feel good Mm -hmm. and just having some human contact and you know being able to talk to somebody different that you don't see every day Mm -hmm. and you know someone touching you and taking care of you and primping you and um, it just it feels really good Mm -hmm. we all love human touch Mm -hmm. so that's an important part of you know, caring for somebody. So you can go into the home. So aside from the independent living communities and assisted living communities and the skilled nursing facilities, you can also travel to someone's home as Absolutely. well, correct? And anywhere that they need, mm-hmm. you know, that they need a haircut. I, I've had people who have been injured and just been in the hospital right. for quite a, quite a, you know, many weeks or months and boy, they just want a haircut. Yeah. So, yeah, yep, I'll go anywhere. Mm-hmm. So are there limits to what you can do and what um, you can't well, right, do? Right now, what I do is is just a haircut service. Okay. And, and the reason being is most of the places I go, I'm, I don't have access to a sink where I can like shampoo mm-hmm. their hair. Uh-huh. Um, and I don't do chemicals like color or perms because it gets a little too complicated because then you need a sink yeah, and then yep. you need all that. Um so right now it, it is strictly haircuts. I offer um, free eyebrow trims and mm-hmm. beard trims because okay. my dad had a beard. So <laughs> I got to throw that in. <laughs> That's um, nice. Just um, as a little extra. So I guess one of the, uh, the next questions, you know, I, I can imagine people sitting at home listening to this going, well, you know, I know what it costs to go to get my hair cut. Boy, this is going to cost me an arm and a leg to bring somebody in my home. How, how does that okay. structure work? So, Okay. My starting price is $27. Okay. Well, that's not bad at all. And that covers your driving there? Right. Well, okay, here. So it's $27. (laughs) And my home office Mm -hmm. is in Raleigh, but it is South Raleigh. So I'm close to the Johnston County line. Okay. Um, If I travel more than 15 miles from my home office, I do add an additional five, and that's just for travel. Okay. Well, that's still very reasonable, for sure. I think. I think that's great. Thank you. So what else would you like to tell us about your business? Um, I guess I just, I'm happy to work in the business here. I've been talking to a lot of people in the senior industry, Mm -hmm. you included Nicole, and everybody is wonderful. Mm -hmm. Like I, I love working with, you know, uh, the, the older community. Mm -hmm. They, to me, they're wise beyond their years and they just have so much, you know, great offers, stories to offer Mm -hmm. and um, talk to people. Great, great. So I know, um, Jason, you know, you've had some experience as well working with folks in the community. And and can you imagine this would be an amazing service? I know you've had a personal caregiving journey as well, you know, folks nearing end of life and 
I think that, you know, it's, it's, it's gotta be one of those things where, you know, maybe you're in a facility and they might provide that service, but to have the, the personal touch and, you know, to feel like, you know, you're, you're taken back either to a barbershop or a salon to have that dialogue while someone's cutting your hair, that's gotta sure. be a good feeling. It you know, is. it's, it's, it's you gotta be able to almost see that transformation when you're performing that service for someone. I do. I do. I mean, they come out of their shell. They, mm-hmm. they, they just want to feel like everybody else. They want to feel human again and, you know, look good, feel feel good. I know the old fashioned term was, you know, going to the hairdresser. And I know you're calling, referring sure, to yourself as sure. a cosmetologist. But, um, you know, I, I, one of the things I always talk to people about through, throughout the years was, you know, you want to actually get in touch with people who may need um, some additional services. People spill to their hairdresser. They tell them all that's going they on. Do. They you, do. you have a bit of a social worker background, even, <laughs> if you, even if you didn't have the degree. So I think it's pretty awesome. Um, the fact that and the unique relationship that people have when somebody is actually doing in their hair and I think part of that has to do with just that that physical touch that b- being made to feel beautiful and and feel good about yourself so I think it's pretty fabulous all that you're doing to support older adults in our community if you were to think of a, another gap you know for those listening who may have an interesting idea out there what do you see as another gap out there um, sort of in the beautification realm that exists for older adults uh, you know, I think a lot of times people take that for granted, you know, when they're when they're a caregiver that, you know, they they meet their basic needs, but sometimes go on the extra mile mm-hmm. or, you know, oh, you know, maybe I want my hairstyle mm-hmm. or maybe even your nails polished sure. for, for women, um, you know, men with the, with the beards and mm-hmm. everything. So I, I just feel that when someone is taken care of to that level, they they feel appreciated they feel loved so if folks want more information and they want to get a hold of you how do they go about doing that all right so i have a website mm-hmm. and it is very easy it's homehealthhaircuts.net all strung together homehealthhaircuts.net my phone number you can reach me at is 919-675-5507 again 919 919- Six seven five 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 zero seven. I also have ads in the seniors guide and the resource for seniors catalog coming out. Um, so you, you can find me. Well, thanks for joining us. That's Thank you so much. Karen Wright, owner and operator of Home Health Haircuts. And man, you read that phone number like a pro, nice and slow so that people could write it down. 919-675-5507. And again, that's homehealthhaircuts.net if you want to find Karen online. Karen, thank you so much for joining us. We will be right back with more Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care on News Radio 680 WPTF. This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on News Radio 680 WPTF. Joined by Nicole Cleggett from Transitions Guiding Lights, here's your host, Jason Kong. Welcome to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care on News Radio 680 WPTF. Good Saturday evening to you. Jason Kong here with Nicole Cleggett with Transitions Life Care and Transitions Guiding Lights. We've brought in uh, maybe our favorite guest here on, oh. on Aging Matters. I, he doesn't say that to anybody. No, I don't. So. I am feeling very special. <laughs> You're certainly friend of the show status. We've got Lisa Roberts here in the studio with the Alzheimer's Association 
Eastern North Carolina chapter. Lisa is the executive director. Lisa, thank you so much for being back here thank with us. Thank you, Jason. It's wonderful to be back well, with you. And, and I have Nicole. I have to say, Jason is matching you with purple oh, today. He no. is purple pride. Okay. <laughs> I'm I loving I'm sorry. It. I missed the That's memo. Jeez, okay. <laughs> I'm That's like not good. feeling good. <laughs> you have purple in your heart. I know that. Uh, I'm lucky I was dressed to be here today. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I understand. Because you saw me running in the studio. That's okay. That's all right. Well, I am super glad that you're here with us today. And we have so much to talk about Mm -hmm. and not tons of time. But um, I guess first and foremost, you know, the thing that's on top of my mind is really talking about the collaborative effort that we have between Transitions Life Care, Transitions Guiding Lights and the Alzheimer's Association. Just around the corner, our summit, our caregiver summit in Chapel Hill coming up on August 7th at the Friday Center. I am so excited, and so is my entire team. It's such a wonderful celebration of caregivers, and this being the 10th year, I know. we just expect it to just explode. We want everyone to come out and register and be part of that caregiving community where you can get the support and the education that you need. So we're thrilled to be uh, connected with Transitions, and you, Nicole, and your great team, Transitions God and Light, um, it's it's going to be a great event. I'm looking forward to it. You know, and I think one of the things that is so unique to this, to this, so to speak, market, you know, sometimes when I travel around the country and I talk about these caregiver summits that we put on, people are just amazed that there is such a thing. And number one, I mean, a lot of people try to do a little conference here and there, but that organizations that make compete on some levels for donor dollars or whatever it may be, are willing to come together for a greater cause to benefit the family caregiver. Because, you know, if you did a Venn diagram and you put all the organizations together that try to support what we're doing in our work, the intersecting point is really that family. And so to put everything else aside and really try to build something so beautiful for that family caregiver, I think is something that Maybe I took for granted in this community, but it's something we're truly blessed with. We are. We really are because we all may have slightly different Mm -hmm. missions, but at the core are the families, just like you said. And I think that that makes everything else just trivial and peripheral. We want to make sure that they get the support that they need. Definitely. So, you know, one of the ways we do that is, you know, we work in partnership to put these summits on with the ALS Association, the American Cancer Society, the American Heart and Stroke Association, the MS Society. And we all come together with the idea of pulling together speakers that will work across all different variations of chronic illness. And, you know, obviously, you know, you're sitting here in the room. The reason why we partner with the Alzheimer's Association is that I believe, unless statistics have changed, one out of every two people over the age of 85 will have some sort of a dementia diagnosis. So this is a huge Mm -hmm. issue. So they may also have COPD and diabetes and, you know, rheumatoid arthritis, but they have cancer survivor. Yeah, but they also have dementia. Absolutely. And and sometimes they have more than one kind of dementia, which I think is a surprise to people that you can be blessed with more than one type. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) And everyone hears Alzheimer's. Mm-hmm. And even though Alzheimer's is the most common form of dementia, there's vascular dementia, there's um, all uh, frontotemporal, there's so many different types of dementia. And that's why we're technically called the Alzheimer's disease and related disorders as an organization. That's our official name because we even know and recognize as an association that there are so many different levels. There's mixed dementia. Um, There's so many different levels and types. And unfortunately, Alzheimer's is a very complex disease. So what may present itself a certain way in one person Mm -hmm. 
may affect a family or the person with the disease totally different. Mm-hmm. So it's important to have the diversity, I think, of our collaborators, which I think you do an excellent job with pulling that together for the Caregivers Summit, but I think also for our families mm-hmm. because they're dealing with so much more than just that physical disease. They're dealing with behavioral issues, communication issues. So we provide a 24-hour helpline, mm-hmm. seven days a week, all day, any day, holidays, so that families can get support from licensed clinicians from the Alzheimer's Association. So if somebody's listening right now and they say, oh, a 24-hour helpline, what is that number? Could you give that to us? Absolutely. It's 1-800-272-3900. Call us day or night. You are not alone. Mm-hmm. Um, you, We have support groups all over the nation and North Carolina. Um, We have uh, early stage support groups Mm -hmm. that um, we partner with Duke Family Support Group for. Mm -hmm. I mean, they do a fabulous job um, with that. So there's so many different levels of community education, which we offer often free of charge to organizations and to um, all types of companies that need to support their caregivers. And I think that's one of the things, too, you know, when I step back and look at the responses of the family caregivers that attend these summits, um, it's the fact that when they walked in, they felt alone. And then when they walked out, they realized that there are so many people that are sharing the very same journey that they are. Absolutely. And that's unfortunately what brings you together. I know having a personal connection to the disease, I didn't, I wasn't aware fully. Mm-hmm. First time I heard amyloid plaque, I was like, what is that? I was on my <laughs> cell phone on trying my to look it up. Exactly. <laughs> I was like, what in the world is that? I never heard of that. And I think that what the caregiver summits do and why I hope people will take advantage of this opportunity on August 7th is that they allow you to have that level playing field where regardless of who you're caring for, Mm -hmm. that's the commonality. We're all there to support each other and to provide free education, maybe have a couple of laughs through our Mm -hmm. pain. That's right. Um, But definitely to have you leaving that day on August 7th at 3.30, feeling like you were overwhelmed with information and support. Mm-hmm. Definitely feel like I have a community wrapping your arms around That's you. That's right. For Very sure. Important. So for those interested, it's the caregiversummit.org. It's this August on the 7th at the Friday Center in Chapel Hill. It's uh, $15 to attend, which includes a lunch mm-hmm. and the entire day's education and resources. So we really hope you come on out and join us that day because it is something that um, I think you'll feel like it was worth your time for sure. So, but when you stepped into the studio, you shared a staggering statistic with me that I think, well, and I've worked in this industry for a long time. I had no idea the Mm -hmm. amount of Medicare dollars that are going on a daily basis towards uh, uh, the impact of Alzheimer's disease. It's it's It's, an expensive disease. it's It's actually the most expensive disease in America. More than cancer. More than cancer. Interesting. It's the most expensive disease in America. And how expensive is it? One in every five Medicare dollars is spent on someone with Alzheimer's. Truly one in every five. One in every five. So 20%. Yes. 20% 20% of all Medicare dollars. All Medicare dollars is spent on caring someone that's for Alzheimer's. It's staggering. staggering. So that, that is today, phase, that's not 20 years no, from now. That is right now with wow. our most recent facts and figures that were released in March 2018. Wow. We took this data, evidence based, to Congress on, in June. 
I saw the pictures. You were running around Capitol Hill, weren't you? Yeah, my feet hurt. I got my Fitbit steps in. (laughs) I bet you did. Uh, But uh, June 17th through 19th, that's why we were on Capitol Hill turning it purple. Wow. And and that same look that you had Mm -hmm. is the same look that we have when these are released. And that's why we put together information. And when we visited... And you have to remember, there were thousands of advocates that were there visiting each and every congressional um, member and Senate member. And we took that data. We took a piece of leave behind material with those statistics mm. to them in the personal meetings, along with advocates who are living with Alzheimer's, people who have been impacted, caregivers, to make that point that this is why you need to increase research funding. We've got Lisa Roberts here in the studio. She is the executive director of the Alzheimer's Association, Eastern North Carolina chapter, and we're talking all about Alzheimer's. If you missed our little, a little bit of our conversation on the Caregiver Summits, I want to remind you that you can go online to caregiversummit.org, caregiversummit.org. There you can register for the summit on Tuesday, August 7th. That is in Chapel Hill at the Friday Center. Again, caregiversummit.org. We're going to continue our conversation on Alzheimer's, just a fascinating and uh, really eye-opening figure that Lisa just shared with us. We've got more of that just ahead. You're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care on News Radio 680 WPTF. This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on News Radio 680 WPTF. Joined by Nicole Claygate from Transitions Guiding Lights, here's your host, Jason Kong. You're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care on News Radio 680 WPTF. I want to remind you, you can find more information about Transitions Life Care at transitionslifecare.com. Dot org. Jason Kong here with Nicole Cleggett, as well as our guest this evening, Lisa Roberts. She's the executive director of the Alzheimer's Association, Eastern North Carolina chapter. And Lisa was sharing some uh, eye-opening figures uh, just before the break here, saying that one in every five Medicare dollars is spent on Alzheimer's. Nicole, that's Jeez. that's bananas, as the I kids know, say. It's more than bananas. <laughs> wow, that's it just is. absolutely amazing. It and is. so, um, I mean, it's just going to grow. It's going to grow. It is. I mean, and that's the even more frightening part, right? And but here's the hope: we, if we, we're all in this. We're in this to end it, and whether we want to or not, yeah, exactly. I mean, because <laughs> there's it's in no all denying of our it. Best interest, <laughs> yeah. Because your greatest risk factor, as you know from the facts and figures, is age. Yeah, and we're living longer. So every single human on earth, whether they use their brain or not, um, yes, it is. Um, But everyone has a vested interest in seeing uh, new treatment, seeing uh, early diagnosis. Um, Basically, fighting Alzheimer's is going to save lives. Um, There's a three prong approach that we have been recommending as an Alzheimer's Association. One is treatment. Um, the second is the early diagnosis. People want to say, we've had people say, I don't want to know. Um, okay, here's the problem with that. I'm not sure if I'd want to know. I, I know. Well, I will be 100% honest and tell you, I'm not sure I would want to know. But knowing how nosy I am, 
I would like to be in the room and be able to participate in the conversation Mm -hmm. instead of not knowing I'm in the room Mm -hmm. and people are sitting and looking at me and talking about me. Yeah. So it's a big difference. So um, that second part, that early diagnosis is critical. And then, Nicole, something that you've been on the forefront of is the palliative care aspect Mm. with transitions. Um, A huge, huge amount of savings um, can be uh, utilized because from a palliative care yes, perspective, How, where are you um, that where we're pulling and and I will you can actually see these um, statistics and the data and what we took to Congress to fight for increased research. If you go to alz.org slash facts. Or if you go to alz.org slash forum and you'll see some of the leave behind kits where we really are trying to um, emphasize the expense of this disease and the toll it takes. But we talked about early diagnosis, but palliative care would save money because the average monthly per person health care costs for a senior with dementia at the end of life is huge. It's almost four point eight. This is scary. Um, where we're looking at um, millions there, but if they, it can be reduced if they receive that cost can be reduced if they receive palliative care. Okay, tremendously. So that's okay. First of all, we need to explain what palliative care is for yes. those listening that don't Please know. Do. And yeah. then the second thing I think we really need to hit on is the fact that receiving palliative care doesn't mean you're receiving a lower quality of care because people can start running and screaming and saying oh so this just means you're just going to let me sit in a corner and die and that's not what it is that's not what it is is. Mm -hmm. so palliative care is a type of care where it's on hospice care. It's when a person has some sort of a chronic illness and they're starting to receive disease management mm-hmm. and some of the services that typically a hospice would provide, like assistance with resources, mm-hmm. assistance with the actual pain related to a disease. Mm-hmm. It's really wrapping that your, the arms of, of a healthcare system around an individual yes. and looking at them as person-centered care. And that's a little great Critical. little tag word that everybody likes to use, but only certain things are truly person-centered. Mm-hmm. So it's really looking at how do we support the family? How do we support the spiritual needs of that individual? How do we manage the medication and and the the actual treatment that individual is receiving? Um, How do we support all aspects of the level of care that that person needs? Because Alzheimer's disease is not an overnight disease. This goes on and on and on for years and sometimes decades. Exactly. Decades. I've seen it. And it's exhausting. And then sometimes a caregiver goes from caring for one person for decades to another or another person gets added on in the middle of it all. And so palliative care is a great way um, while a person could still be receiving curative measures or, you know, all kinds of different interesting treatments or study drugs and still receive that that consultative care around that. Absolutely. And you um, did an excellent job explaining that. What people don't understand is that level of care would save dollars because the, the, the legislation that we're putting in front of Congress is called that it's actually it's a short name it's Pachetta but it stands for <laughs> Palliative Care and Hospice Education and Training Act it sounds like it's it belongs a, on an Italian sub it does it sounds delicious it does, it does. <laughs> we want you to use it it's that's financially to, delicious there you go there you go beneficial but that's so that everything that you described can be done in an environment where people are well trained mm-hmm. are well informed and supportive and we have a workforce that's going to support that so palliative care is part of that three-prong approach that we brought to congress and our senate 
leaders this year to say, this is the most expensive disease in America. Mm -hmm. What are we going to do about it? Mm -hmm. You need to increase the funding Mm -hmm. and you need to increase the legislative support for these types of legislation. We need to affect lives with change. And the way we're going to do that is to basically put in new legislation. Well, and I can tell you, Lisa, you know, in some of my work where I support family caregivers, even through an online support group, there's about 400 and some I caregivers part of that. And palliative care comes up regularly. Now, I'm telling you what, five years ago, people would have been like, palliative, what? What What the heck does that mean? And so I think people are becoming more aware. And I think part of that is the baby boomers are a little bit more actively involved. You know, you said curious or nosy. Mm-hmm. Um, they they want to really know what's going on and, and what's it, what the best things are for their loved ones. They'll, they'll be the first ones to Google something. Absolutely. Um, and so I think, you know, we're going to have to learn also how to work with baby boomers as advocates for themselves. You know, right now, some of the generations we're working with, we have to figure out what family caregiver is going to be the advocate. Right. I think coming a little ways out here, it's going to be that patient that's going to be advocating for themselves. Absolutely. And with, you know, this disease being so prominent now on the forefront of everyone's minds, um, it, it that has a great impact mm-hmm. because people are now being more informed. They're mm-hmm. seeking out education and tools and resources to help them uh, manage it because mm-hmm. it is very complex. So those are some amazing facts and figures for mm-hmm. sure. Talk to me a little bit about encouraging treatments and research because the reality of it is, mm-hmm. as it stands right now, it's more about symptom management than stopping the disease. It well, is. What, what are we seeing in the future? We are hopeful, and I'll say this. Um, the big push and what you hear in the news right now when you hear the story from you know pharmaceutical companies like Lilly and Biogen and so forth, here's why. The big push in a new treatment is for disease-modifying treatment. Mm-hmm. So here's what I'm saying. You're absolutely right when you said it's more symptom management. Mm-hmm. We need... Uh, medication or pharmacological treatments and therapies that are actually going to break up what causes Alzheimer's. Disrupt. Exactly. (laughs) Break up the amyloid plaques, break up the tau and the tangles, the actual core biomarkers of the disease. So a lot of the clinical trials that are going on, and there are 128 um, that are going on right now, I'm really, really encouraging. Uh, North Carolina itself is one of the study sites for the U.S. Pointer study, Mm -hmm. which is going to be run out of Wake Forest Baptist University. And both North Carolina and California are two of the first clinical sites where they're recruiting um, participants. So we're encouraged because a lot of the new research and new science is based on lifestyle, Mm -hmm. based on exercise, diet, all the things we know, put the cheeseburger down, Mm -hmm. you know, eat more kale, (laughs) you know, all of the things that we actually know, those are what um, uh, we're studying. So it's encouraging. So I just want you to have a a chance real quick just to shout out your Walk to End Alzheimer's. Yeah, we're excited. Our Walk to End Alzheimer's is our nationwide signature event. It's the largest, if you will, gathering of people who are coming together to end Alzheimer's. So it's uh, in 600 communities nationwide. But here in North Carolina, we have 21 walks, both on the western side of the state. And then we have six on the eastern side of the state. We'd love you to come out. You can check it out at alz.org slash walk. 
Awesome. ALZ.org slash walk. Lisa Roberts, Executive Director of the Eastern North Carolina Chapter of the Alzheimer's Association. Thank you so much for joining us again Thank this evening. You. We appreciate it. Thank you it. so much, Jason and Nicole, for having me. It's always a pleasure to be with you guys. And a pleasure to have you. We'll be right back. You're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care on News Radio 680 WPTF. This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on News Radio 680 WPTF. With your co-host, Nicole Claykitt, here's the host of Aging Matters, Jason Kong. Welcome to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care on News Radio 680 WPTF. Good Saturday evening to you. Jason Kong here with Nicole Cleggett with Transitions Life Care and Transitions Guiding Lights. Well, let's get into the topic here tonight, Nicole. And this is this is something interesting, and I don't think that it's it's something on the top of mind for a lot of caregivers, but it's it's still a critical piece of things when uh, when we're talking about typical caregiving situations. You know, definitely. So we're uh, blessed to have today with us uh, Laurel um, Hillen, and she is a social worker, grief counselor with Transitions Life Care, and she specifically focuses her um, sphere of influence and work around grief care with children. And so I think, you know, sometimes when we're talking about the family caregiver situation, sometimes children are involved in that and we may not give a whole lot of thought about how do we support a child through grief? How do we support a child through the chronic illness that perhaps a parent or a grandparent is facing? So I'm super excited to have Laurel here today to really shed some light on that and also to let us know about some really exciting events and programs that they're providing that are open to the entire community. So welcome Laurel. Thank you so much. So I would love to just start off with, you know, when we think about a child and a family, oftentimes, you know, I think families think, well, we're not going to share anything with this child because we want to protect the child. And and then I think sometimes what happens is the child obviously has a vivid imagination and they mm-hmm. may imagine things being a lot worse than perhaps they are. Is that true? Absolutely. Absolutely. So then how do we, you know, let's just say, you know, we have a grandparent that maybe has an Alzheimer's diagnosis and, you know, that the family is maybe hesitant to bring the child around that person because of maybe some of the behaviors they're exhibiting. How do we prepare a child to see something that is a little bit different? You know, my daughter, she's uh, six, almost six, and we were um, at an event and she saw a lady who didn't have any hair Mm -hmm. and she looked up at her at six years old and she said, why don't you have hair? It was just very curious. Mm-hmm. And the lady had, you know, a very nice answer to her. And she said, you know, I, I had some, took some medicine and it made my hair go away, but I'm feeling much better now. And that was enough mm-hmm. for, for Julia, my daughter, to say, oh, okay. But, you know, I think in some situations you might see a parent go, shh, don't ask those questions yeah. and try to shoo the child away. So, you know, how do, how do we handle things like that? Absolutely. And that's a wonderful question and a great example, too, of kind of how kids process these mm-hmm. things. And I think one thing, that you've already touched on is that kids are wonderful um, observers. They're Mm -hmm. very keen observers to their world around them and they're taking it all in, but Mm -hmm. oftentimes they're poor interpreters. So a lot of times they're watching things and they can kind of think that things might be worse than they actually are. Mm -hmm. So just providing that open and honest communication with your child. And I think just as the woman did with your daughter saying, kind of answering her question and taking her lead. So your daughter asks kind of the questions that she's needing to know. Mm -hmm. And that's what I encourage parents is a lot of times we think, we have to tell them kind of all these big details. Mm-hmm. Um, or nothing at all. Or we go nothing both at extremes. all. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. But really trying to take the lead of your child and answering the questions that they have. And oftentimes 
that'll satisfy them Mm -hmm. um, and that'll be enough for what they're needing right then. Also realizing too that a lot of times kids will continue to ask the same questions over and over again. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's really showing that they're processing Mm -hmm. what's going on for that loved one. Um, And so what I encourage parents and caregivers to do is that's perfectly fine, but make sure that you're providing consistent and honest answers to your child each time that they're asking those questions. So then how do we as adults sort of get over that feeling you know, of, of little Julia, who mm-hmm. kind of goes up to somebody or sees somebody in a wheelchair, how do we kind of stop ourselves from that hesitation feeling that we have that you shouldn't approach people with these issues right. and, and shouldn't ask them questions? Right. I think a lot of times it's our own kind of discomfort in it. <laughs> when um, we start growing up, we get filters. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. And that's kind of the wonder and why one of the reasons I love working with kids is that they are just so honest and mm-hmm. curious. And I think a lot of times for parents, when we talk about, well, what's holding you back from talking about your loved one's illness it's because it's hard Mm -hmm. it's something really tough to do it's uncomfortable Mm -hmm. Um, and so I think taking more so of a cue from our kids of just trying to meet people where they're at Um, your little girl went right up to that woman Mm -hmm. and kind of asked her and she wasn't shied away from talking Mm -hmm. to her um, and she was able to ask those questions and just be present in that moment with with her and Mm -hmm. I think that's beautiful and something that kids just do a naturally wonderful job with. Well, and I can tell you as the parent, I had an oh my God moment like, Mm -hmm. oh, she just went up to somebody who's sick. And even though I work in the field, I didn't know how this lady was going to react either. So I was... I paused and I held myself back right. because, you know, I didn't want to just swoop in and stop her from asking mm-hmm. her question. But then I was also prepared in case the person didn't appreciate the question right. on the other side because you just don't know. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think it's just balancing that. And as you said before, with kind of if it's your own loved one mm-hmm. who's, who's going through a, a terminal illness, mm-hmm. um, trying to just prepare your child if they're going to visit for, okay, what are the sites, sounds, smells that they're going to see. So really setting them up. So So you do tell them in advance. Absolutely. So telling them in advance. So they're not walking in and saying, oh, where, like, where's all your hair? What's this big pump? You're trying to help prepare your child so that when they're walking into that space, they can be a little bit more successful and not feel so overwhelmed by everything that might be going on and what might be different for your, for your loved one. So how else do we prepare the child? So I think um, having those conversations of, okay, when when we go in, there's going to be nurses or other caregivers taking care of grandpa, Mm -hmm. for your example, and um, they're going to be there if they're helping him to feel feel better and not feel any pain, Mm -hmm. um, talking them through. So grandpa looks different from last time that you saw him. Mm -hmm. Um, What is that going to look like for them? It might have a different smell in the home. So setting up those examples for them when they're walking into that space. they'll know and not feel totally shocked um, and hopefully not ask kind of, oh, no, questions Mm -hmm. in that moment then. So adults typically, you know, grieve and show the grief process in a particular way. Do children do it the same way as adults? Right. So it's really different. And like I'd say for just as well as adults, everyone grieves differently. Mm -hmm. So um, you could lose the same person as as your loved one, but your relationship with them is is different. Mm -hmm. So you're going to grieve differently. Mm -hmm. Um, With kids, it's the same thing. I think more so with kids, um, we kind of pull more so from this process called the dual process model of grief, where they're really able to come into their grief, think about it, Mm -hmm. um, ask those big questions of, well, what happens after they die or what does that mean? Mm -hmm. Um, And then they'll be like, okay, mom, I'm ready to go play. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times parents that I talk with are kind of shocked and worried, like, is that normal? 
yeah, yeah. is something wrong. Yeah. And that's perfectly normal. Yeah. They're really, it shows again, your child processing that information. A lot of times I wish adults that I speak with, like we could have that kind of Seriously? process yeah. of, okay, I can sit in my grief. And then step away. Right. And step away <laughs> and go play yeah. and go run around mm-hmm. the neighborhood and go jump in the pool. Mm-hmm. And then I can come back to it mm-hmm. and think about it. But their minds, I think, are, are wonderful in that it's protecting them. I can ask you those questions. Mm-hmm. And when I'm satisfied or when it's too much, I'm going to take a minute and I'm going to go run around and be silly and be jumping off the furniture mm-hmm. and all those normal, quote sure. unquote, things that kids do. So, you know, my mother passed away a few months ago and, um, you know, and she lived a great distance from here. So my kids didn't really know her very mm-hmm. well. And so when I told my children, I really thought this isn't really going to make much of a blip on the radar for mm-hmm. them, really. And so, you know, I told all three of the kids at the same time, and I have a 14-year-old, a 12-year-old, and an almost six-year-old. And I just was kind of, mm-hmm. it was kind of interesting to see what the reaction was right. going to be. And so the 14-year-old kind of put his arm around me. He's like, oh, gee, mom, I'm awfully sorry for mm-hmm. you. And then he just went off. Didn't really, and again, they didn't really know her that well. My 11-year-old just kind of sat there dumbfounded mm-hmm. about the whole thing. Um, and then kind of talked to me about it a little bit, wanted to read the Bible, that sort of mm-hmm. thing that night. Um, and then my my the one that really didn't know her at all, the, the little mm-hmm. girl, she just burst out into cry- tears. Mm-hmm. And she's like, well, that means we're, she'll not be here anymore. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we're not going to see her anymore. But is she going to is she with the kitty meow meow in heaven? And so mm-hmm. she was trying to process, well, is she with things that she Absolutely. knew? And so it was interesting how each child, like you said, mm-hmm. different relationships had a very different, and part of it was probably the age differences, yeah. had a different reaction to yeah. that. But, you know, the young one is the one that keeps coming back to it mm-hmm. in your example. So mm-hmm. every once in a while she'll say, well, it's really sad when people die and we don't yeah. see them anymore but they're in heaven and so she keeps trying mm-hmm. to kind of think in her mind Absolutely. you know where is grandma because she didn't see her and yeah. so and that's the difference too with children's grief versus adult grief yeah. is that they really play off um their caregiver their uh-huh. loved one and they are very attuned to what's going on for you mm-hmm. and how you might be feeling and oftentimes we hear from parents that oh well my child's not talking with me about my loved one and then they come visit me in the grief center and oh, this, that, and talking about grandma. Uh, um, and oftentimes parents can sometimes feel hurt because right. you want to be that person for your child. Sure. And it sounds like you're doing the same thing. You want to be there and have, right. be that safe person for them. Um, but oftentimes kids that I work with say, well, I don't want to make mom sad. Right, right. I don't want it. They're yeah. already protecting their loved ones and they know, well, I don't want to talk about it and make, make mommy upset. Definitely, yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's definitely an, definitely a very different experience yeah. than, than adult grief for sure. Laurel Hill, and thank you so much for joining us this evening. We really appreciate you taking the time to join us. We're just about out of time. I want to remind everyone that you can find more information about Laurel and her outfit at transitionslifecare.org. That's a great place to find plenty of information. You can also find a replay of this episode online at WPTF.com. Just head over to the Aging Matters section. You can find every episode that we've done right there, as well as information about the Caregiver Summit. So on behalf of Nicole Clayett, I'm Jason Kong. Thank you so much for joining us. We hope you do it again next week on Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care on News Radio 680 WPTF. Have a great night. You've been listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on News Radio 680 WPTF. For more information, log on transitionslifecare.org.